This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. Today is New Year's Eve Day, December 31st, 2020. Nobody is going to be too upset that 2020 is on its way out. But on her way in is Sarah Donsbach. She's a newly elected member of the Hamilton Southeastern School Board. And, and you know, Sarah, I will not pretend to be anywhere near as good an interviewer as Izzy Alexander was when you had your candidate interview. I had to bow out because my grandson was just born out in South Dakota, so I was going back and forth, and and uh, those two young people did a great job. But it's great to have you with me today. Thanks for uh, agreeing to talk to me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, I guess the first thing I would ask you it's one thing uh, to be a candidate and go through that process, which is a lot of work. And whether you win or lose, there's just a lot to running for any office, school board being one of them. Uh, but when the uh, counts were, the, uh, the, the votes were all counted and certified, you were the winner by 20 votes. Uh, the incumbent, Amanda Shera, requested a recount. That was all done, and that resulted in you winning by 19 votes. So not much changed in that uh, process. Uh, each of you went up and down a little bit, but the net result was, was 19 votes. Uh, recounts, uh, believe it or not, are quite rare in Hamilton County. In fact, I was talking to some people involved in, in elections uh, in Hamilton County, and they were scratching their heads trying to figure out how to do a recount. They hadn't done one in so long. So, so tell me what that process was like for you going through a an election recount uh you know it i took it as i embraced the learning process as someone who's worked in on campaigns and government as a staffer you know i'd never been the candidate before um i had never actually been personally involved in a recount i had known about some around the state from like a tertiary level but had never really been part of one. So I didn't really understand or know what the processes were. I went, of course, the first thing I did was go and read the statute to see what what the rules were and how the process was going to work. Um, and just kind of embraced it that way uh, to learn. I'm a government nerd at heart. So to learn something new in that sense, um, and for my kid to use the opportunity, you know, none of us have wanted to be home teaching our kids or monitoring their virtual learning. Um, so I have tried in every opportunity I could to use life experiences to teach my kids something new that they may not have been able to learn otherwise. So I used it as a learning opportunity. We looked at abs what an absentee ballot card looks like, what an actual absentee ballot looks like, uh, and explained to them how that process all works. And actually my two daughters went with me the morning that the recount started to the Hamilton County courthouse, just so they could see firsthand the process of, of what that all looks like. And so, um, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, what I didn't understand is, you know, it's, it's really boring <laughs> to watch. I mean, you've got people sitting at, at tables sorting, scantron cards and then counting and recounting and marking the tallies and turning those in and um this was just a straight recount it wasn't an election it wasn't a contest of the election so there was less marks you know errant marks and 
were there two signatures on the ballot cards from the clerk, all that stuff wasn't part of the process. So it went a lot quicker than it would have had it been an actual contested election recount, which I didn't know before this, that that was actually that there was two separate ways to do a recount. So that was something that I learned as well. Well, and I, I think it was you on social media when you first went in there to observe this. I think you compared it to watching paint dry. Paint dry, yeah. <laughs> Which it if, is. You know, and I, I, you studied political science as I did in college, and I guess you never lose that nerdish uh, uh, way of, of looking at things. But even for you, it was a, it was not an exciting uh, experience. Let's let's move. No, my to, my attorneys they said you know you don't need to be here. Yeah, it's it's just you're just going to sit here and watch us count. If there's an issue, we'll call you and you can come down here. But really, it's you're just one more human in the room that we don't necessarily need during a pandemic. And I said, great, I'm going to go to work. That's exactly <laughs> what you wanted to hear. Yeah, well, good yes. for you. I mean, that's uh, but the so the experience for you was just stay out of the way for the most part. Let your attorneys handle it for you. Exactly. Uh, let me move on to what you're going to face on the school board. There are many daunting issues awaiting the new board. I think front and, and center on that will be COVID and the decision on the in-person versus virtual classes. There have been said many ways of doing this. It was all virtual. Then it was kind of a hybrid system for some grades. Lower grades uh, were in-person. Then uh, with the problem with being able to recruit and retain enough substitute teachers uh, we've been going all virtual for the last several weeks that authority ends on january 15th which means the new board on your first meeting january 13th are going to have to make some decisions so I, my question to you is as you've looked at this issue already what will be your considerations in trying to figure out where to go with this issue you know um first and foremost i think we need to look at the facts that we get from the health department, which change daily and see where we are, especially after the, you know, the holiday break. I know that travel happened for a lot of families in our community. Uh, and I think we just need to look and see how that all is going to impact what our numbers, um, what our numbers look like and what's going to be safe for our teachers and our students. You know, what I have learned as I've started to get some, um, some messages from, you know, now that I have an official email with the school and I get to be on the distribution list so I can kind of come up to speed is um, from an outsider's perspective, there's a lot more going on even than I realize within the administration and the district trying to get subs trained and available subs that are willing to work in the building. Um, even the ones that are signing up and that we're training aren't necessarily willing to go into the classroom until the pandemic is over. Um, which obviously presents a challenge for us. So I think as we start looking at those numbers and looking at where our teacher numbers are and our substitute numbers our goal, obviously, is to get all these kids back in to the classroom. That's where they need to be. Um, that's where most of them learn the best. Uh, you know, I have five kids that run the gamut of schools. So I've seen every sense of 
how this model can work. My oldest is a freshman and he actually goes to Purdue Polytechnic in Broderpool. Um, he wants to go into architecture and engineering. So that just made sense for him to go there. And so they have been hybrid since the beginning and they switched to hundred percent virtual since they go off IPS uh, in the beginning of November. Um, but he was going every Thursday and Friday. They had a group that went Monday, Tuesday, and everyone was virtual on Wednesday. Um, you know, I have a, a seventh grader and a fifth grader. So the junior high and intermediate that went hybrid for a while, they never got to go back to a hundred percent in-person learning. And actually my, my poor stepson, he, he got, he, he was a close contact at school. And so he was at home quarantined for two weeks. And then at the end of that two weeks is when everybody went virtual. So he, he was super bummed that he never got to go back, that all the other kids got two more weeks of, of hybrid instruction and his class was at home quarantining. Um, and then I've got two fourth graders who started hybrid and then they got to go hundred percent for, I think a, a little bit over a month. And that was great for them. Um, they really liked it and didn't really complain much about the masks or things like that. So I think it really is a challenge to see for me specifically, um, where we want to educate our children in the best way that we can. And we want to make sure that we're giving them the best education we can give them, whether that is in person or virtual. And some of my struggle is, while I know the social and emotional health of our students, they need the social interaction at this age. Um, when it comes to their education, sometimes just sticking a warm body as a substitute in front of them isn't necessarily a better learning experience than seeing their teacher and having access to their teacher, yes, it's not as much access as they would get if they were in person. But a lot of these um, substitutes, they're not licensed teachers. And while we very much appreciate, and I'm actually decided I'm going to go through the sub-certification process myself, just because I think it's, my background's not in education, obviously, it's in political science and government. But I think it would be really interesting for me to understand what it's like to stand up in in a teaching role as a substitute so I can better understand what we're asking these people to do. Um, it's interesting that uh, you mentioned you have a student at uh, Purdue Polytechnic because I'm sure you're aware of the fact that HSC schools tried to stand up a program next school year and the budget uncertainties got in the way. I actually thought I was going to see some school board members and administrators cry openly when they weren't able to go forward with that program, but they're still working to, to get that done in the future, which brings me to the budget. There's already an internal budget cutting committee that's been formed to, uh, they've been tasked with trimming $5 million out of the next school year's budget for 2021 and 22. Uh, declining enrollment is causing that. This is something on most Indiana school districts have experienced. In fact, it's a nationwide issue if you read widely about this. Now, this is a budget session coming up in the Indiana General Assembly. You've already alluded to the fact that you've spent some time there and worked to, to get legislation passed. If anybody listened to your first podcast with Izzy, they know all about your experience with uh, the seatbelt law, 
the uh, loophole for the the uh, pickup trucks, which always bewildered me. I learned a lot just listening to that podcast. But uh, back to the budget. With the budget session, and now the the governor and some of the legislative leaders are saying that they want to make education a priority. They're not going to add to the budget for schools, but they're going to keep it level. That's going to be a challenge in the current environment. So I'm really curious, as you have evaluated the situation up to now, what's what are your views on the whole budget outlook for HSC schools? You know, um, I've got the 32-page budget document that I received last week that I have been going over and trying to parse out which fund comes from where and which fund goes to where and which funds are allowed to be spent on what. Um, luckily, working for the BMV, and I think that might be the only place where funding formulas and accounts are more complicated than education. Um, declining enrollment, obviously, is an issue, and that is where we're going to lose some funds. You know, I was talking to my husband, who also works in state government. He still actually works for the state. And as I was listening to the governor talk about his legislative agenda when it comes to education and when we're doing our student counts, HSC specifically, when we, we have lost students at all levels, um, I think from what I understand, our largest loss of enrollment is in, as in kindergartners whose parents chose not to send them to kindergarten this year. Um, and hopefully we are we are getting to the top of the hill of the pandemic and by the end of the school year and over the summer that we will be well down the other side of the hill where hopefully we can, when we start school in August, things will look a lot more back to normal than they did this year. Uh, My question is, and and this is one I'm going to bring up with the board and and with Dr. Bork, just as a question for myself as a new board member, I don't, I don't understand. I don't always, I don't want to assume that I know what the communication rules and roles are for me. I still have to learn those. Um, and, but when it comes to the legislature and them doing another count in February, and them appropriating in the biennial budget based on our numbers during a one-time, hopefully one-time global event, knowing that come August of 2021, if the vaccinations get rolled out in the time frame that we hope that they are, we're going to have a huge influx of students back into our schools that we're not going to have funding for. And so, and that's going to be a statewide issue. Kindergartners that didn't weren't enrolled in August are either going to enroll in kindergarten now or in Indiana kindergarten is still not mandatory. So they technically could just enroll straight in first grade. And so we're, I, I would foresee that us to see a huge influx in that age level of kindergartners and first graders come August of next year. And I, I have some questions for the legislature about how, how we're going to determine, because obviously when, when you're in a district, our kids can't just up and go to Noblesville and they can't up and go to Westfield or up and go to Carmel they have to go to a private school if they're not going to return back to the HSC district or they're going to have to stay homeschooled. Uh, or if there's, there might be some families where they just found out that virtual learning works really well for their child. And there are online schools now that you can attend to do that. And, and for some families that may actually be a better option. Um, but from most of what I've heard, I think that's going to be the rare situation. And so 
I would really like to push back on the legislature a bit and, and understand, I understand the reasoning because this is what we've always done is we've done counts and before the, bi- the biennial budget and that's how we determine how much money we get per student and how many students we have. Um, but this isn't how we vote. This this year isn't how it's always been. And so I think that there, there needs to be some frank conversations in the legislative process with the budget when it comes to education about how we're going to try to help these schools and these districts maintain their wholeness. Because it's a two-year budget, and if they cut our numbers this year and this budget, then we're kind of stuck between that rock and a hard place longer than we would like to be. Yes, that's uh, you have a pretty good grasp of that. I must say, as a reporter, learning the funding system for schools is almost like going through an education in itself. And uh, yeah. yes, your your experience with state government and, and agencies certainly has clearly helped there. You mentioned, you know, the the the, the student population. Um, there is a new elementary school soon to be under construction, Deer Creek, which is replacing Durban, which cannot grow because of the availability of utilities there. Um, so it's being moved to a different location, although the building will still be used by the school corporation even after the students leave. And when Southeastern Elementary uh, opened up recently, uh, they were bursting at the seams with students because of growth in that general geographic area. But the demographic projections from the demographer hired by the school corporation basically is saying that there may be bulges within certain grade levels, but that in a general sense, in coming years, the demographics of this area, even though it will grow, will will not produce m- much more in students. It's going to level off. So as you look at that going forward, I'm curious what you... Uh, what your view is in terms of, of, of what the school board is going to be dealing with in terms of student population, and particularly at the elementary level, what the challenges will be in handling the student population? Uh, I think the model, I think that our, the people who, who run those numbers for the district, um, that's just a really hard job to have. Uh, you're predicting, and I will use the neighborhood. I live off 126th Street between Lantern Road and Allisonville Road. And there was a brand-new neighborhood that was just built to the east of us. Um, I live in a small 19-home neighborhood. And the neighborhood built right next door to us, I think, has like 30-some-odd homes in it. And when they were building it, the builders came and met with our neighborhood Um, because one side we were losing a bunch of tree cover that used to be, I don't want to say farmland, but it was open land. Um, And they, it was being marketed to empty nesters. There are almost zero lot line homes. They're, they were, you know, they're very close to each other. Uh, And so that's how, that's how they were marketing that neighborhood. And they didn't see it to to have much of an impact on schools or on busing and what happened is that that neighborhood is 80% families with elementary school age children. Um, because a lot of people, young, young adults, young professionals, once they start to have families, tend to migrate from Marion County, where they might be living more of an urban lifestyle now, into the suburbs. And for education, 
because the districts in Hamilton County, all of ours, you know, that's, it's not a, a bad problem to have that every district in your county has a good school system. And so Fishers is kind of the, the newer, hipper, more urban area when you look at kind of your proximity to downtown than Westfield or Carmel with all the growth that we've had at the yard and just the amenities that our community is providing. It is more attractive than maybe some of the other Hamilton County communities are at this point, especially for young families. So I think where in that area, if you're, that's really kind of the only area in Fishers where you have open land for new, for new growth, for new building is over on the east side. On the west side over here, we're somewhat landlocked. There's some parcels of land that can be manipulated into neighborhoods like the one that was built next door to us. Um, but there's not, there's not space on this side for us to see huge thousand home neighborhoods that we're seeing on the east side. And so I think that, I think we're going to continue to see a steady growth of, of increase in, in students and probably particularly more elementary school students than, than older, you know, junior higher or high school age students, because most of the time, unless it's it's for a, a work reason. It's someone relocating from out of state or somewhere farther away in the state. They're going to tend to want to stay where their kids have been going to school and where their friends are, um, unless obviously it's an economic reason as to why that they're moving. Um, they can't be avoided. So I think we as a district really need to to partner. I mean, uh, Tony Bogato and I actually became pretty decent friends during this process, um, and it's it's a friendship and a, and a relationship that I am very thankful to have at this point with his experience and with the city and with city planning and with the growth, because it's a resource that I am very thankful that I get to have going forward as we look at growth and look at, you know, what's on the docket for the city, where they're looking to build homes, what, what the builders demographic that they're trying to attract is um, I think will be helpful, but I think, I don't think we are are plateaued at all in the growth that we're going to see in our city at all. Yeah, for those who don't know, Tony Bogato was one of three candidates for that seat you ran for in Delaware Township. And uh, Tony is the planning and, and, and zoning uh, chief for the city. So he's a good person to know. And even though he came in third in the election, he still received several thousand votes. So uh, he obviously uh, is interested in the schools and has had an interest in that for some time. Changing the discussion for a moment, our, our current superintendent, Alan Borf, is retiring at the end of June 2021 to see through the, the end of this school year. Uh, there is uh, a search that's currently being conducted uh, for his replacement. One of the major responsibilities under state law for any school board is to evaluate the superintendent and to choose a new superintendent when there is a vacancy. So, what qualities would you like to see in the new HSE school superintendent? You know, I think given our community's um, current challenges and some of our strengths at the same time, we need somebody who is has experience and um, has a really good financial handle on, on school finance and can be creative in how we try to maintain all of our programs for all of our students at the level that 
we currently have and look at other look at creative ways to cut the costs where we need to find them versus sometimes which the easier things to do are to cut programs that might not be core curriculums or you know they might not even be super popular programs but they're popular for the students that that take that partake in them and so i think we need to have somebody who is financially minded that can help guide us through this kind of budget crunch that we're going to see. We also have to have somebody who is engaging with our community, who can build trust back with our community, who is willing to be open and honest and as a consensus builder. Um, I think the pandemic, no one was going to win in this situation. I mean, it it's you, we, we want, nobody knew what to do. And I think everybody has done the best that they can. And just the global situation as a whole has caused caused a lot of distrust between community members, distrust between the community and the schools, um, community and government. It's just kind of everyone is angry and trying to figure out where to put their anger. And so it just kind of goes everywhere. Um, and so we need somebody who can come in and can be a consensus builder. I mean, when we talked about budget, our referendum is also up for renewal uh, pretty quickly after this person will take office. And so to be able to talk to the community and to build the trust in the community so they are willing to renew our referendum uh, is going to be really important. We also need to find somebody who is puts equity and inclusion and diversity as a top priority um, and not just on paper, but in practice. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I've had a lot of people ask me what I would like to see in a new superintendent, and you've mentioned a lot of things, but I always say the two most important things, number one is being able to run a referendum, because that's very important to make sure whatever the board decides it wants, whether to keep the current referendum rate or a different one, uh, w making sure that that passes is extremely important. But at the other, what you just mentioned, I think uh, – our school corporations become much more diverse. You know, I moved here in 1991. We were a little farm town, basically, then. Uh, we're a much different place now, and I think for the better. Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I'm watching this very closely, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of internal discussions as you narrow down the candidates uh, for uh, superintendent. I, pe people are going to be watching that, and uh, that will be, I'm sure, a very interesting experience for you. Uh, I never get anywhere near all my questions in when I talk to people on the school board or any other elected uh, office. So I'm going to leave the last few minutes just to ask you anything that you would like to add or discuss that I did not get the chance to ask uh, during this 30 minutes. Oh, you know, um, I'm really excited to, to get started and to get to work. Um, you know, I, our first meeting is on the 13th and, you know, the operations plans obviously on the agenda for action that first meeting. So it's, it's almost, I always say it's so much like history repeating itself for me. When I first started working for Mitch, I was working for family and social services, you know, one of the largest agencies in the state. And I was 24 years old and no one knew what they were really going to do in the agencies they were working for. And I went over and they said, well, Sarah, you worked a lot with the, the legislature candidates during the campaign. So why don't you go over to the state house and, and 
and monitor that. And I had no idea what a lobbyist was. I had no idea. I mean, I knew the, you know, schoolhouse rock. I'm just a bill, like how bill becomes a law. I knew all of those things, but didn't really understand all the, the process in Indiana and how all those things work. And I kind of learned as I went. And so um, I'm excited to learn as I go. And hopefully my missteps will be few and far between, but I'm sure nobody's perfect. And, you know, I just really hope as we start into the new year, starting tomorrow, that we can start turning a corner as a district and as a community, and we can help each other find solutions to the predicament that we're in. And hopefully we start moving in the right direction on all senses. Well, I I appreciate your time and and your uh, willingness to, to talk here as you enter this this uh, four-year responsibility of being a member of the school board for the term that you've to which you have just uh, been elected and uh, again i'm not sure i can i measure up to izzy alexander but uh, it was nice to have that interview done i appreciate all the candidates including yourself i have great respect for anyone who runs for public office win or lose so you did win the election after a recount so sarah donsbach i want to thank you very much uh, for taking the time to speak with me today thank you very much larry